Hello and welcome to Obehave. I am your host, Brian Middleton, also known as the Bearded Behaviors. And today we have two fantastic guests, uh, the, the uh, two brown girls, Portia and Nicole. Um, they're based out of Atlanta, Georgia, and you can actually follow them on Instagram and Twitter underneath uh, that fantastic name. Welcome. Hello. How are you guys doing today? We're doing great. How are you? Doing wonderful. So today um, we're going to be talking about the topic of diversity and applied behavior analysis. Um, it's a it's a topic that's near and dear to my heart because uh, I am uh, autistic, and so I I feel like there needs to be a little bit more representation of the folks that we tend to serve, um, and 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 uh, some voices need to be heard there. And I feel like that. Uh, that doesn't have to be exclusionary, but rather inclusionary, um, because there is definitely a need for more voices to be heard in in behavior analysis. Could you could you guys share your thoughts on that? Yes. So um, we actually live in Atlanta, Georgia, and. Um, We've worked pretty much together for the last five years, and what we started to notice is that in North Atlanta, there's pretty much a saturation of um, clinics, and um, we started to encounter families who live in South Atlanta who um, are driving two hours one way just for services because there are not a lot of ABA services um, being provided in South Atlanta. So that was like an eye opener for us. Um, and we also started to notice that the education on ABA existence, even in South Atlanta, is different from North Atlanta. And it's just one city. So, I mean, Atlanta is big, but it shouldn't be that way. So yeah. that has been like our driving point um, to bring diversity to all neighborhoods, um, all demographics, all ethnicities, gender, um, just providing the experience um, and the joy that we have for ABA. So um, I'm kind of reading a little bit in between the lines here. So North Atlanta seems to be a little bit more um, built up, uh, higher income, that sort of thing. And it sounds like South Atlanta is, is the opposite. Is that, is that a, a good inference? Yes, that is correct. Um North Atlanta includes a lot of like suburbs, um, not that there aren't suburb suburbs in um, South Atlanta, but it's more intercity. Um, so the income is different um, due to way due to the way that tax dollars are split. Um, one thing that Nicole and I just learned recently is that um, ABA is not even provided in one county here at all oh, wow. inside the school district. Um, whereas, like, we currently work in North Atlanta, and we know that these services are provided in the public school system. So to hear that, you know, that there's a county that has public schools who have kids who need our assistance, 
and it's not being offered was kind of disheartening, but also another like motivation for us to, you know, put ourselves out there and be that barrier or fill that need, fill that gap that is happening right now. Yeah. Um, interesting that you should mention education um, specifically. Um, the largest continuous study to have been done on education uh, was done through uh, the U.S. Department of Education and the Canadian Department of Education. And I'm just taking numbers off the top of my head, so I could be a little bit wrong here, but I think it went over nearly 40 years of data. Mm -hmm. um, it was called Operation Follow-Through, and it was ABA in its nature. Um, it was the, the research was really solid and fantastic. And yet it, as a licensed special education teacher, um, I can tell you that the data that is available in operation follow through is not frequently talked about in education. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that's disheartening too, because, um, a lot of the research that was done for uh, things like the hero protocol um, that, that classrooms can use or the good behavior game, things like that, where actually the, the core of the research was founded through operation follow through. Uh, and, and so when I hear that there's, there's actually some places here in Colorado where I live and I also when I was living in Utah, there are places where uh, ABA just wasn't available. Um, and, and in fact, uh, I, as a special ed teacher, was running a behavior special education program for mild, moderate kids. And um, the reason I discovered ABA was because I was researching and trying to find out ways to help my kids. Yeah. Um, and so... Uh, before I left the middle school I was teaching at, I, I'm going to do a little bragging, 100% uh, <laughs> inclusion, 100% inclusion in the school um, wow. for all of my kids. That's and um, with the exception of a few outliers, uh, full integration from the teachers, they would come to me with not just problems, but asking on how to solve those problems. Um and really the only fight that I had was with administrators, not with the teachers. Teachers want to know what to do. Yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it, it was really fantastic. And, and so when I, when I, I was in a place where there was no behavior analysis integration uh, at all. And, and two separate companies were offering free services for the school district I was at. And, the school district wasn't using it. They were focusing on pseudoscience behavior interventions, stuff that, that uh, when you analyze the function, you realize is they're, they're literally reinforcing the behaviors they don't want to uh, see. Um, <laughs> and, and, and seeing that, you know, two private companies were willing to dedicate uh, paid man hours uh, for behavior analysts to come into the schools to provide supervision so that the paraprofessionals and teachers could be trained reg and registered behavior technicians. Like that's, 
pretty impressive. And yet sure. the school district wasn't willing to do that. You said they weren't, so, they weren't willing to do it. They were not willing to do it. They, there, was, there was pushback from the school psychologists. Wow. So, <laughs> and, and when I say a school psychologist, I mean uh, a few of them. There was one school psychologist who since left the school district because of that attitude. Yeah. Uh, and and, uh, and <laughs> it's just <laughs> that sort of thing drives me nuts. And I'm, I'm sure you guys have similar, similar stories that you could could tell about about how um i guess there's a resistance because well i don't know maybe it's a maybe the function of the behavior is access uh access to something yeah the fear of the unknown like aba is fairly new Mm -hmm. um in consideration to other fields and Oftentimes, the buy-in is a little bit harder just because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, and it's so easy for us to see it because we know the results of ABA and how great those results are. But it is, we often do get a lot of difficulty with the buy-in from other um, fields. Yeah. Well, and also, it, I've I've seen that a lot of it is, um, well, I've noticed with ABA education, the hardest thing with it is learning the new language, um, and I struggled with that myself. Uh, and it wasn't until I read about behaviorism by B. F. Skinner that he explained why it was so important, and that's that by default, our language is just filled to the brim with explanatory fictions, basically ways of, of justifying behaviors from the way we sense things. Mm-hmm. And so the, the intentional, um, I guess the word that would be a good, good word is like stuffiness or stodginess of behavior analysis. Uh, it, it helps to be able to start seeing things from a more cause and effect oriented way instead of those circular, circular reasoning approaches. Like Mm -hmm. for example, well, he did that because he was anxious. Yes, exactly. And and sometimes, and sometimes we get a little stuck in that. And um, I was raised by parents who were raised by parents who lived through the great depression. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, they they grew up hearing stories about that and and um, and 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 conveying those information, that information. And a part of that is that there was some traditional air quotes there ways of parenting. Um, and so when I was a little kid, I was spanked when I did something wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but interestingly, as my parents because I'm one of seven kids, uh, I'm one uh, among the oldest. Um, as my parents learned about parenting and observed how others did it, um, they learned skills. And one of the skills they learned was that spanking wasn't effective. Um, and so they gradually replaced with reinforcement-based things, and they did a lot of things without realizing what they were doing. Um, and and sometimes when we're talking about cultural 
aspects of things. Sometimes the way that a child is air quotes here disciplined mm-hmm. um, is is stuck in this is the way it's done. Right, um, right. And I'm sure you guys have encountered that with working with with parents, and mm-hmm. I've certainly encountered that working with parents yeah. of being like like. Yes, spanking is it, it can can have an effect, but what if we were to try focusing on the behavior we want? Right, right. It's almost it's almost like you you can punish them, but what are you doing that's making things more positive and giving them a positive life? So spanking them cool if that's your way of handling it, but do you do you have any way to reinforce them for when they do something? Are you saying something like it's, it's just like that understanding of that too? And like, like you said earlier. Oh, sorry. The the there's a shift in the volume. Can you hear us now? Perfect. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and it's like you kind of said earlier. Like you're actually reinforcing the behavior. So let's say the kid's function of his behavior is attention. If you're spanking the kid, you're now giving that kid more attention. Um, but that all comes into play with diversity because culturally spanking is more acceptable in certain cultures versus others. So um, it falls back on us as therapists being in the field to be competent in all cultures um, first and understanding that that may be their source of um, are their go-to with handling behaviors is spanking. Um, so then it's our job to ex- um, educate them on the function of behaviors mm-hmm. as well as showing them maybe it's through data collection that you're actually increasing this behavior that you actually want to punish. Yeah. And showing them antecedent strategies are ways to um, put that on ex- to put that behavior on extinction. And um, oh, uh, having a hard time hearing again. Sorry. <laughs> like I think, like thinking, like what Portia's saying, and um, thinking about like the functions of behaviors. It's just so important for us to really teach parents and teach other people because the function to me has just become so much so important like I think about like when I have little cousins and nieces and I don't know if it's because I've been in the field so long and it's just for me looking the way I look at at behavior now but I'll catch myself being like what are they doing that for and you know trying to figure out what the function is so like that lack of knowing why the child is having this behavior or why the person, you know, whoever it is, the client is having this, this behavior. You don't, if you don't know why, then you tend to just punish, you're punishing anything. It's almost like putting a kid in timeout, but not telling them what they're in timeout for that, you know, or it's kind of punishing anything. You can be punishing anything. And then like you could be increasing the behavior that you don't want to increase. And um, that is, that's a perfect, a perfect example of, of why it's important to understand that. Um, my, one of my things is if we're not teaching replacement behaviors, then we're not doing our job right. Um, right. And, and it's, it's, it's about um, showing parents, teachers, uh, 
even other therapists, because uh, I've I've actually I work with some people who are um, uh, I'm friends with some people who are cognitive behavioral therapists, and I'm teaching them ABA concepts, and they're like, oh wait, is that why that person is doing that? And it's <laughs> right. like their 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 focus and emphasis is on a different realm than I am. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's within uh, their scope of practice is different, but mm-hmm. this knowledge and understanding, um, opens up so many pathways. And, mm-hmm. um, I had, I was working with some parents where their response was, um, kid was acting up the, the kid would get spanked. Um, turns out that the function of the behavior where he typically was doing that was not attention. So, you know, there was, it was a three out of four chance that it wasn't attention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, of course, there's a 50, 50 chance that uh, uh, regardless of whether it's attention or not, that it, that's straight up kind of abusive because if it's automatic, yeah. uh, it's a reinforcer, then you're, you're basically punishing a kid for doing something that's automatic. Um, so instead of focusing on the spanking, I focused on, well, okay, what, what are we teaching the kid for replacement? Mm-hmm. And, and they're like, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, what's he trying to do when he's acting this way? And they're like, I don't know. And I was like, well, let's figure it out. And we, we worked together to figure it out. And it turns out he just wanted a drink of water. And oh, wow. he, had, he had learned through you know, operant conditioning uh, that getting a drink he would get what he wanted by acting that way um, by, by, by pushing things off the table. <laughs> and so uh, I taught them how to sign water or drink. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then he started signing that. And then they'd also, what they'd say, you know, so you want water and they'd sign back and he'd nod. And that actually helped him become more verbal Um, because he then started uh, echoing them uh, on saying water and uh, lo and behold, the behavior went away and they stopped spanking the kid because we were teaching a replacement behavior, not because we were shaming them about spanking the kid. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the next time there was a behavior that happened, um, instead of going to the spanking, they're like, well, they would find out what's, what's the what function. <laughs> what's the function? <laughs> and, and, and literally WTF is the foundation of <laughs> behavior analysis. <laughs> <laughs> the question is, is WTF the, uh, the, the inappropriate way of saying it or the appropriate? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Um, so what other, what other cultural challenges uh, do, do you guys see with a behavior analysis and, and, address, and trying to bring it to uh, more diverse populations? Hmm. Um, one that I've seen... Oh, volume again, sorry. One that I've seen, um, it was about a year ago, I had a therapist approach me um and she was like oh my god there's a black bcba and she was like you're my first black bcba and this was an african-american um therapist and she was like so happy to meet me and i never i never i guess i never thought of it in that manner until 
it was brought to my attention. Um, and then like recently there have been groups made for African-American, um, behavior analysts and, um, registered behavior technicians, just people, black African-Americans within the field. Um, and I think the group has been helpful for us to see, like we've, we've been in this field, but we don't know each other exists unless we work with each other. Um, even here in Atlanta, again, it's a big city, but we've met so many people that live right here in Atlanta through the group. So, um, like pretty much the clinic that we work in is very diverse. So you mm-hmm. kind of tend to be just within your clinic. So you don't often realize like, okay, just because your clinic is diverse doesn't mean that every clinic is diverse or yeah. that may not be the representation of the entire field. Um, so I think that's another thing um, is just bringing awareness to how diverse the field is and there is room for growth. Um, I just recently took a um, course, um, a continuing education unit on diversity in ABA. And um, I can't remember the psychologist's name, but she talked about when she went to um, school to be a psychologist, it was a required course um, to take a diversity class. And um, in the continuing education unit, she looked at um, the medical field and some other fields who all require um, diversity coursework in order to receive their licensure or certification. Um, As we know, our Everyone may not know, but to become um, a behavior analyst, a board certified behavior analyst, or a registered behavior technician, that is not the case. We do not have to take a diversity course. Um, So I think that is something that we would like to see um, and we would like to be a part of making that happen because the only way that we can serve this Um, population of people, whether you're serving children with autism, um, adults with disabilities, trauma, whatever it may be, you're going to encounter a diverse group of people. So how can we serve these people if we're not competent in exactly what diversity is? And and diversity is is such a, a wonderful topic because it's it's literally the 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 term itself implies it there the uniqueness of individuals right. um, and and of cultures and diversity doesn't just I, I hate to say just because that's not the right word but diversity is inclusive of also neurotypes right. um, of yeah. of cultures that develop due to what some people consider disabilities, but I consider just the way that the person's neurology is structured. Um, And I think one of the big issues that we're facing uh, with ABA is how the autism community and other neurodiversity communities perceive ABA. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And ABA has definitely dropped the ball in some ways, uh, collectively, not, not necessarily individually. Um, and, and, uh, furthermore inside of ABA itself, uh, I, I had the privilege of going to a conference where Evelyn, uh, Gould, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing her name right. Um, presented, um, uh, she's a, a BCBA if I'm, uh, from Ireland, uh, and she she presented on the topic of diversity in ABA, and um, she mentioned that we don't have any num- hard numbers on uh, the the number of minorities that are in the behavior analysis field, um, but we do know that about seventy percent of practitioners are female, right. and yet and yet. If you look at um, leadership within ABA, it is definitely significantly lower than that for the number of, of women who are leading in ABA. Mm-hmm. And it was so amazing to sit in on that class because um, even though men were the minority uh, in, in, in that class, we were like, we want to hear from you. We, we want you to lead. Like we want, we're, we're, we're backing you guys up. We want to have that, um, that diversity and leadership because everybody has something really valuable to offer. Um, and it, I don't feel like it's, it's right that there's any one group that's overrepresented. Um, definitely. I like that certain people have skill sets and such, but we need more. Um, right. We need more people to be a part of the community. And, and part of that is examining um, blind spots that we as individuals might have. So mm-hmm. that way, so that way we can get past old modes of thinking. <laughs> right, right. So. Mm. Yeah. Um, Something that I've noticed also with um, diversity in ABA is part of it's also access. Um, Like you, you, as you you guys have already mentioned that um, the access, you know, more, more areas that are more affluent, you tend to see more people who are exposed to ABA, which means you get more people who are like, Oh, this is something that I would like to do as a profession Um, and, and that sort of thing. But access also, um, has to do with cost. Yes. Um, yes. And one of my biggest frustrations with ABA education is that um, even cheaper uh, programs are still really expensive. Right. Um, it's it's almost like you have to uh, sell your soul to be able to get a degree. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so you know that's that's I think a, a big area that that. I hope that by us recording this podcast and, and the amazing things that I've seen you guys post on your Instagram, um, uh, I hope that, that we can try to bridge that gap by just creating uh, open access, open source materials that maybe we can kind of reduce that cost. Yeah, that would be interesting. It almost makes me wonder, and I know we're probably about to wrap up, but just with you saying like um, the cost of, of, services in some areas versus another area but it's still in a low-cost area it still will be expensive i think i wonder because here in atlanta how um portia was mentioning that we only have um 
a lot of the clinics that we do have are more in North Atlanta. And I wonder if they mm-hmm. don't put them in, you know, those low costly areas, because why open up a clinic there when I'm not, I might not make as much money there as I would in North Atlanta. So they tend to not, you know, um, go that way. And so like, yeah. like Portia was saying earlier when we were just chatting before that, that's kind of like one of our goals is to get a clinic or some, some type of service out to those areas that, that have nothing and when they don't have anything they don't know anything so you know they yep. don't know they don't know aba like you were saying too so it's um it's definitely this is this is definitely a great topic and i think um just coming from oh, hello oh i got really <laughs> sorry <loud there. laughs> Um, was was that the motorcycle again? <laughs> yes, he's leaving. He's out. Um, one of the things that I and going back to something we were talking about before. Oh. <laughs> all right, <laughs> something we were talking about before about just diversity overall inside the clinics and with the and in the field. Um, you know, we I've. I've had the opportunity to work in uh, multiple clinics in the in the same area because they're all up north, and um, the diversity of the leadership and knowing how to you know handle um, the employees, and then it, it just trickles down because the way you handle your employees and the way you handle um, the the clients and stuff like that. So diversity, just like you said, it it goes all around to who who yeah. we service and um, not just the race of people and the culture of people, but, you know, um, like you said, neurotypical and, and all of that is definitely, it's just important. It's just really important. Um, yeah. And, and speaking of that, um, one of the things that I've noticed when, when it comes to relation of diversity is culture in relation to workplace and how um, different or businesses or organizations handle those cultural differences because um, the way that a culture enculturates or, or basically trains um, working in one culture, there's might be a lot more laughing and joking and, and uh, I'm going to air quotes here again, uh, inappropriate jokes that are going on. Uh, And then in another culture, it's, it's just like, even, even the slightest showing of skin, (laughs) it's not okay. (laughs) And, and, and we're talking about like, I grew, I was working in Southern Utah. And so there, like, I had to be very careful about showing any historical pictures that might have had um, depictions of nudity. (laughs) <laughs> even if even if it was in passing because people would get upset um whereas it, whereas here in in colorado springs like i work with therapists who have multicolored hair gauges tattoos right, right, right. uh you know uh it, it we can get a little salty with each other and it's a-okay uh, you know uh and you know everybody understands that you know the the that's that's a that's a just the way it is. Um, and you know, my workplace is pretty chill about that, but I've heard of other places where it's just like, you go to work, you do what you're told, you sit down, you shut up, you, you work with the kid and then you leave. Um, 
and and that's that's kind of a rough culture for somebody who's used to community. Oh, a uh, little the volume again. Sorry. Yes, that is. I totally agree. Yeah. <laughs> so so it's, it's all about finding like a, a, a workplace that meets your need as well. Like you don't want to be in a workplace that's, you know, like not similar to what your personality may be or your cultural. Um, yeah. So definitely diversity ties into like just the workplace as well. Yeah. Well, and then also um, going back to culture, cultures and climates inside of, of, of organizations um, is the cultural approach to uh, punish away behavior, uh, write-ups, disciplinary action, that sort of thing, or is the culture to reinforce uh, alternative or differential reinforcement, uh, basically. So training the people. Um, I keep on forgetting the name of the gentleman who is the, the um, founder of Virgin, uh, the company. Um, but one of my favorite quotes from him is um, train people so they can leave, but treat them in a way that they will want to stay. Awesome. And, and that's, that's my objective all the time. Um, I'm in, I am not, uh, I have not passed the behave board certified behavior analyst exam. I am hoping to sit for it soon as of this recording. Um, at, but I am in a leadership role in my company uh, because we, we have some, some management structures and as a, a behavior analyst in training, um, uh, I'm given some trust so that I can have some practice in teaching and, and guiding and helping. Um, and there are RBTs who have told me that they were thinking about leaving, but because me and the other leadership took the approach of we teach, we show, we model, we reinforce when you're doing it right. We're, you know, using behavior analysis right, right. <laughs> um, that they not only decided not to leave, but that they're interested in pursuing um, further training in behavior analysis. Right. And that should culturally speaking that that's our responsibility is to try to shift the cultural approach in the American workplace and really the workplace around the world to be one of environments of reinforcement. Yes. And speaking from the other side of things, being a um, BCBA, the board has done a great job with um, including that in our ethical code, the guidelines for supervision, oh, yeah. there's so much resource out there for continuing education um, as far as being a supervisor, providing the eight-hour training that includes things that says that we should reinforce, we should get positive feedback. Yes, we should correct, but there is a way to go about it. Like you said, we should always reinforce um, first and not engage in punishment. That should not be our first encounter. Um, and just making that relationship between 
the supervisee or the therapist and the supervisor very clear in the beginning so that everyone knows like the expectation and everyone is comfortable. Um, that is a part of our culture. That's awesome. I, I, I hadn't gone through that training cause you know, there, I don't have a reason to at this point, but I, that's heartening to hear. Um, also I, I will say that I think the, the, uh, Behavior Analyst Certification Board, if I remember correctly, was founded in 1999. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's a fairly young organization and mm -hmm. uh, an approach. And the thing that I find heartening about that is since the founding of the BACB, um, that the quality of ethical drive has gone up because yes. our ethical code is driven by that. I've seen some of the updates that have come out, um, some of the changes that are taking place. And um, it's pretty amazing. I, I really, I'm really glad to see that we're ABAing ourselves. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's working. It's working. The field is growing tremendously. Um, I think we're on the right path. Will it ever be perfect? I don't think we're looking for perfection, um, just ways to make it better each day. And I think that's what we're doing by, you know, like um, creating two brown behavior girls by doing this podcast with you, Brian. I think it's people like us that are going to make a difference. Agreed. Agreed. Um, well, that's about our time. Is there anything else that you've guys wanted to talk about or mention before we we wrap up no i think that's it okay well i i definitely would like to have um you wonderful ladies on in the future to talk about some of the the task list things but i'm grateful that you took the time out of your uh sunday evening uh to to come on here and talk about this and very important topic. Um, again, folks, uh, you can follow them on uh, Instagram and uh, Twitter. And uh, you guys were saying, stay tuned for Facebook uh, yeah. for, uh, uh, and it's underneath uh, two Brown behavior girls, correct? Yes. It's two awesome. T-W-O. I'm sorry. I was just saying, instead of it being like two, the number two, like I want them to oh. spell it out. T-W-O. Brown behavior. Correct. Mm -hmm. To yeah, and uh, also whoever did your logo design, uh, fantastic. Okay. Uh, by the way, did did one of you design it? Yeah, it was Nicole. <laughs> oh, awesome job, Nicole. Uh, my business, my business partner Bob. Uh, he designed uh, my logo, and and uh, I showed him yours. And he was just like, wow, that was really good. Because <laughs> oh, I don't consider myself a, a design, like a logo designer or anything. I just put something together. But thank you. I, we appreciate it. No problem. Uh, well, um, thank you very much for coming on again. I hope to have you guys on in the future. Um, this has been Bearded Behaviors. Thank you, folks, for listening. Um, if you would like to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com uh, slash O behave podcast. That's O H behave podcast. Um, and you can also support the podcast on anchor.fm slash O behave. Um, 
We really appreciate your support and patronage. And please share this podcast with others so that more people can learn about uh, applied behavior analysis and with this podcast specifically, the importance of diversity in it. And uh, have a wonderful night.